Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 26 to verse 39. Or I'm sorry, verse uh, 30. Yeah, I had to turn around. Okay. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is a, this is a couple of verses our charismatic friends would like to use to say that they pray in the Spirit. In other words, un unintelligible words, you know, you can't understand. It's a prayer language. That's not what it's talking about. And we'll see that in a minute. But um, <clears throat> Anyway, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed in the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. I titled the message this morning simply, The Help of the Spirit of God. The Help of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to meet together and to open thy precious word. I pray, Father, look into the Word of God today that you would encourage us and challenge us and, and grow us in the grace and in our knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. So I pray that there be glory in your church. Father, if there's any in our midst who do not have the assurance of salvation, the Spirit of God would bring conviction and they would repent today, put their faith and trust in thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Of course, the word likewise is a connection word or a conjunction takes us back to preceding, uh, preceding passage. Of course, it's talking, a lot of the passage is talking about the Spirit of God. As I mentioned last, I think it was last Sunday or the week before, that the word or the Spirit of God is, is referred to 19 times in this chapter. 19 times. Only referred to twice prior to this in the whole book of Romans. But here, 19 times. And, of course, it's the Spirit of God that indwells us when we are born again by the, by the Spirit of God. You know, He's the source of regeneration. He brings conviction. And, 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 and so then He indwells us, uh, the presence of God within. Uh, it's the earnest of the Spirit. He's the down payment of the assurance that one day this body is going to receive redemption as well. It's going to be glorified. And we'll see that here this morning as well. But, but the Spirit of God... Not only does he indwell us and he leads us and encourages us and gives us hope, as we looked at last week, we have that hope, that assurance that one day we are going to be changed and we are going to leave this, this life of corruption and sin. But he also helpeth us. The word helpeth there. Notice in verse 26 again, the likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, I want to define those two words, helpeth and infirmities. The word helpeth simply means to lay hold along with. Now, when I read that part of the definition, I thought of oxen, a team of oxen. And they've got to pull together. They've got to pull together. You know, uh, 
I've never been around oxen. I've never seen oxen pulling, but I've seen horses. Been around horses. I grew up in in Amish country in PA, so I, I've seen some horses. I've been to some horse pulls, and when you get them not when they're not together, it, it's 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 chaos. You know, they don't go anywhere. They got to pull together. So the idea of laying a, along with he lays along with us, or is he he helps us. He pulls with us, you might say, or we with him, uh, or help in attaining is the idea. So help in attaining. And again, the word is used only twice in the New Testament, and the other time it's used is in Luke 10.40, where it says, Martha was comforted about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone to serve, to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me, that she pull with me, you know, uh, work with me. And of course, it's used also, a good example of this is in Exodus chapter 18, in verse 22, uh, Moses had been, uh, would be, would, 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 you know, during the day he would judge the people and all the people would come to Moses with their questions. And so he had this line of people every day that were coming to him and his father-in-law came to visit him and he said, you're going to wear yourself out. Why don't you set judges? And, and he said this, let them judge the people at all seasons. It shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee. But every small matter they shall judge, that is the judges, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. So the Spirit of God, it says here, helpeth our infirmities. Uh, the infirmities of our souls, the want of strength and capacity, the want of strength to understand the thing. You know, there's a lot of things we don't understand in life sometimes. We have trouble understanding it denotes, again, the weakness of human nature as one of human wisdom, uh, of understanding to bear trials and to bear troubles. And so we have the Spirit of God, when we are born again, the Spirit of God indwells us and He helps us. Now, I have three things this morning that He helps us with. First of all, the Spirit helpeth our ignorance our ignorance. Notice in verse 26 it says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. You know, there are times we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what or how to pray. You know, we are, we are human. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Someone, one, one conversator said this, quote, We do not know what prayers to offer, nor in what way to offer them. But the Spirit pleads for us, unquote. So there's a one of wisdom on our part, and we may not know how to express ourselves to fit the need. And the Spirit intercedes. He helpeth our infirmities. When we are ignorant of what is best, sometimes we don't know what is best. And our weak judgment is, a, is incapable of choosing that which res, would result in lasting good. You know, sometimes we see things on the surface and we don't see what 
could be the fruit or or what could be the fruit or what's down the road as a result of this. You know, when we were in was in Sunday school class this morning, you know, Paul's facing shipwreck. What good did come out of that? You know, he, he, he could have said, he could have been frantic and saying, you know, we're just all going to die. But there was something, the providence of God had something else in mind as a result of that shipwreck. He took a bad thing and turned it into a good. You see, sometimes we don't know what, what, what is right to have lasting good for us. And the Spirit, again, makes intercession with the right prayer. He searches. He examines. Notice verse 27 says, And he that searcheth the hearts knows, know, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, uh, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he searches. That word searches there means to examines into, or he investigates. He investigates into the heart of our lives, the, 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 the center of our, of our thoughts and our passions and desires, and he knoweth, he perceives, he discerns. It's God that searches our hearts. Jeremiah 17 says, says I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. See, therefore, he gives thee the desires of our heart. Such desires, someone says such desires that are not comfortable to God will never be transmitted to God because the Spirit intercedes. He intercedes. You see, someone said the Spirit of God compensates for our ignorance and foolishness and makes intercession for us according to the will of God. Notice again verse 7. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. See, sometimes we don't, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We're ignorant. You know, we have, I hate to say this, but we have limited intelligence. And God has all intelligence. And the Spirit of God that dwells within has all intelligence. He knoweth the end from the beginning. And so he helpeth, the Spirit helpeth our ignorance. Secondly, the Spirit also helpeth our utterance. And notice again verse 26. It says, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The word groanings means groanings, sighs. You know, in Exodus, the book of Exodus, the Bible says that the Lord heard their groanings. Children of Israel, when they, because of the, because of the uh, uh, slavery and the bondage, the Lord heard their groanings. He heard their sighs. They were, they were unexpressed thoughts. I think the best example of this is in Job. Go to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. It's talking about things that cannot be uttered or or cannot be expressed in words. In Job chapter 2, I believe we have a good example of this. Verse 11, Job 2.11 says, of course Job had lost his family, lost 
all his, all his possessions, all his children, and now he's lost his health. And he scraped himself, and he's sitting down in the ashes. And even his wife says, once curse God and die. And then verse 11 says, When Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon them, and they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment for together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, many times we criticize these three friends. We call them so-called friends. But, you know, consider the fact that, you know, they had no scripture. They had no written scripture. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's believed that Job probably lived before Abraham. So they didn't have a lot of experience that we have to go on. They didn't have the scriptures that instruct us and and give us a record of why Job endured this affliction. So they only did what they thought was best. But I want you to notice that when they saw Job, they wept. It says they wept. They were moved. They didn't even recognize him. And they sat down on the ground seven days and seven nights and didn't say a word. They didn't know what to say. What do you say to a guy who's just lost all his children, all his wealth, and then his health? What do you say to him? They were mute. They couldn't utter. When you're too exhausted to pray, the Spirit prays for us. Too perplexed to pray, the Spirit prays for us. When we don't know what to say, the Spirit prays for us. When we feel helpless, the Spirit prays for us. He prays with groanings. Wordy prayers are not necessarily the most worldly prayers. Bunyan said, quote, In prayer it is better to have a heart without words than words without heart. Unquote. One man says, quote, The Spirit of God takes us in our bewilderment when troubles press from without and fears oppress within. He breathes himself into our thoughts and yearnings and causes the essence of our prayer to be right because it is he who prays both in us and for us. What a miracle of spiritual life this is, unquote. See, the Spirit of God searches our hearts. And as we yield to him, he presides over our desires, our ambitions, our motives. And then through his intercessions, our prayers become intelligent and effective before the throne of grace. See, he helpeth our infirmities. 
our ignorance and our utterance. But also notice a third thing. The Spirit also helpeth our understanding. Notice verses verse 28 and verse 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to his image, to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, this is a very oft-quoted passage of Scripture. I think many times quoted by people that really don't understand it. Just want to, just, they, you know, a lot of people that don't really live for God want to claim God's promises. You know, they like to quote, My God shall supply all your needs by His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, there's a contingent upon that promise. Those Macedonian believers first gave themselves, Lord, and they gave out of their poverty, not of their abundance. But we see here, I want to notice three things about this. First of all, a faithful promise. Verse 28 says, and we know. Now, the word or the phrase, we know, is defined this way. It is not infrequently, so far as the sense is concerned, equivalent to it is well known, acknowledged. In other words, it's not always well known. That's the idea. We don't always know this real well. It's not always acknowledged. For example, here's, here's the way it's used. Matthew twenty two sixteen, And they sent out on him their disciples with Herodians, of course the Pharisees and the rulers of Jerusalem, saying, Master, we know, I want you to think about that, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, do you really believe they really knew who he was and that he always told the truth and didn't care for any man? If they knew for certain who he was, I have a question. Why are they trying to trap him or snare him in his words? The word know here is also defined as become to know or to become persuaded. Again, in John 13, 7, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, he said this, Jesus answered said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. You see, we don't always know what God is doing in our lives. We don't always know. Through the trials and the afflictions. But we need to trust him. Because this we do know or should know that he knows all things. Yea, he knows the end from the beginning. That means he knows how a thing will end before it starts. That is wisdom beyond us. And so we have this faithful promise that we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So we have this faithful promise. Secondly, we see a fruitful process. Again, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good. 
It's not not our good, but for good. Not all things are good, but all things are for our good. That's what he says. You know, God mixes the good with the bad here. All things. The good and the bad. He mixes the bad. The tears with laughter. Health with sickness. Blessings with afflictions. Life with death. Again, referring to the Sunday school this morning where Paul's a shipwreck. And a lot of, they lost. They lost everything except their lives. But they ended up on an island. And on the island, Paul was able to minister to the people on the island, you see, an opportunity to give out the gospel. The good and the bad all mixed together for their, for their good and for the good of those that were with him. So, it is a fruitful process. You know, just like, we, you, you know, I don't like flour. Sugar is tasty, but I don't really want to eat sugar. And I really don't want to eat, um, um, yeah, I can't think of what it's called, baking soda. And I don't want to eat Crisco. But if you put it all in a pan, stir it all up, and mix it all up, and put it in the oven and bake it, and it makes a nice cake, I'll eat it. See, God works all things together for good. It is a fruitful process. And then we see a finished product, again, in verse 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That word predestinate simply means predetermined or decide beforehand. It has nothing to do with our salvation it has to do with the fact that we are saved and God's predetermined or determined beforehand that those who are saved ought to be conformed to the image of His Son. We are not predestined to salvation. But we, the, the finished product is that we should be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Philippians 1 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, in other words, the, the work of salvation is going to continue to work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to continue to work in your life to conform you into to Jesus Christ. You know, this is taught all throughout the Bible. For example, in Hebrew, or not Hebrews, Ephesians 1 4 and 5. Ephesians 1 4 and 5. Again, it says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's predetermined, again, that we should be according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12, again says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And 1 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy 1.9 says, 
who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given in Christ Jesus before the world began. See, the finished product that God is working is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. We are to be his witness. We are to be here in his likeness. Somebody said, well, how do you do that? Well, same way you make a dog out of a piece of wood. Well, I asked the man who carved dogs out of wood, how do you do it? He said, I take a piece of wood. And everything that doesn't look like a dog, I cut it out. Then I sand the finishing touches. See, God's knife is all things. And he is going to continue to cut away at our lives as long as there are things in our lives that do not resemble him. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. And he uses here the example of children. You know, whenever there's things in my children's lives that that I didn't approve of as a father, I worked to get it out of them. And and most often that meant chastening. Chastening hurts. Um, verse five, Hebrews twelve five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked to him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had our father had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father and spirits of live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, you know, us early fathers do it for a few days. Fifteen years, maybe? There comes a point where that's we don't longer do that. You know what? There's no limit to how many days. As long as you're alive, the Lord's going to continue to chasten you if there are things in your life that don't resemble him. And he does it for our profit, verse 10, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So the idea is that those that will receive the chastening will profit from it. See, God helps, or the Spirit of God helpeth in our understandings to understand that God is using the good things and the bad things that happen in our lives to bring us, or to conform us to the image of a son, to make us more like Christ. 
Look at Psalm 141. Psalm 141. And David made a statement there that that's, stood out to me many times. Psalm 141, verse 5. Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. So let the righteous smite me. It'll be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It'll be like excellent oil. You know, oil is what they anointed themselves with. It refreshed them. And, and he says, so that will refresh us or revive us is the idea. And so the Spirit of God helpeth our understanding. He brings us to the place where we acknowledge that God does use all things in our lives for our good. There is a purpose that He allows it. You know, God can take it away. God could have taken away Paul's thorn in the flesh, but He did not. Because He said, My grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure. See, there was a purpose for that thorn in the flesh that God allowed till the day of his death. It was for his good and God's glory. And so the Spirit helped with our understanding Understanding his purpose. And then secondly, he also helps our understanding in understanding our position. I want you to notice verse 30. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So the Spirit of God helps us understand our position. Now, I want to notice three things here that he mentions. First of all, that we are called. We are called. You all are called. All hear the voice of God in some way or another. Psalm, one, or Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is going out through the, the ends of the earth. So every person in this world sees creation and sees the heavens and, and, and sees that it declares there is a God. We call this natural revelation. Of course, Romans 1 talks about that. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were, are without excuse. You see, the world is without excuse in not believing that there is a God who made all this. They're without excuse. That call goes through the whole world. Now, that won't save a person. That won't save a person. But what we find in the Bible is those that receive that get further revelation. Cornelius. 
Cornelius looked at the heavens and said, there is a God. And that God said, send for Peter, who shall tell thee what thou needest to know. Isaiah 45, 22 says, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. See, that call goes out to all the ends of the earth, that I am God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 22, in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, 17 says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him come. That's the call of God. It's going to all the earth. It is not that God does not call some. It is that many will not hear. They will not heed the call. See, man must respond to the call of salvation. The call of God. Many are like the Jews in Acts chapter 7. Stephen says, you do always resist the truth. You resist it. So them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. So we understand what we've been called. Secondly, if we respond to that call, we are justified. The word justified, of course, means to be declared righteous. Think of it, declared righteous in the sight of God. In the mind of God, we are righteous. If, if, you have, if you have heeded the call of God and repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in the mind of God, you are righteous. Just as righteous as God is. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there, there is therefore no condemnation, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. See, through faith in Christ, the grace of God becomes a present possession whereby we are enabled to live like we could not live before. Justified. We have the life of God. We have a power to overcome the dominion of sin. And we can live the Bible out in everyday life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. What's it say? Ye are our epistle, known and read. You know, as carnal as a church at Corinth was, 
the world still saw something about them that was different than before. They saw a change. He said, you're known in red. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And there, again, he says that you were in samples for those of Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word. In chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14, he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because you received the word of God which you heard of us. Receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which are in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. See, they were justified. They were righteous in the sight of God. And because they'd been made righteous, they were living righteous. They were living out what they'd been made. The world saw a difference in them. They were living epistles, being known in red. See, because we are justified, we can live like we could not before. We can overcome sin because we have the Spirit of God. No longer we have to yield our bodies as instruments to sin. We can now yield our bodies as instruments of righteousness. So understanding our position, we're called, justified. Then I want you to notice the third thing here. Glorified. Verse 30 again. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. The word glorified here has to bring, the idea of bringing to honor, its uh, definition was, uh, 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 Thayer's definition was of God bringing Christians to a heavenly dignity and condition. This, this glorification is really a restoring of what man lost in the fall. For in creation, God was made, or man was made in the image of God. The image of God made he man, the Bible tells us. Of course, that was all lost in the fall. Well, in the new creation, of course, the pattern is the Son of God, who is the express image of his person, Hebrews 1.3 tells us. So it's really a change in status of life. It is new life, a glorified life. And this, this of course, regeneration you know, affects our whole physical experience. It transforms the body and mind on the basis of a new life. If we yield our minds and our bodies, we can now yield our minds and our bodies as instruments of righteousness. It, it, again, it means a new cre- creation, a new creature. And one day, it's going to mean a new body. You know, Philippians 3.20, Paul said, For our conversation is in heaven, whence also we look for the Savior. It's not quite how it goes. For our conversation is in heaven, whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, According to the working whereby he is even able even to subdue all things unto himself. You know, of course, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
is a new creature, a new creation. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, are becoming new. It's a continual thing. And here's the wonderful thing about all this. It is so certain that our Lord speaks of it as a fact already done. Look at the tense of verse 30. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. What tense is that? It's now. It's now. It's not future. You know, we're the, getting that glorified body or that changed body is future, but as far as God is concerned, it's done. We have it. It's already done. The price has already been paid. One commentator said this, quote, To God, the pilgrim is already in the immortal country. The bondservant is already at the day's end, receiving his master's well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, as far as God is concerned, it's already done. That's our position. We understand our position. You know, if we understand God's purpose, and we understand how the Spirit helps us, and we understand our position, who do we need to fear? It should give us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, the world's in chaos. There's turmoil everywhere. We have hope. And the Spirit of God helpeth our infirmities. He helps us in our ignorance, in our utterance, in our understanding. To realize and to know what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to fret and worry. Store up all kinds of stuff. Our God promised to meet our needs. What we need to be concerned about is being faithful and being conformed to his image. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to have the Spirit of God indwell us and help us and strengthen us in our life on earth. You know, he bears witness. He gives us assurance of the glory to be revealed in us. And how is it with you this morning? Does the Spirit bear witness of your spirit? Does he help and sustain you? Does he give you the assurance of glory, of life, and of glory to come? And have you repented of your sin and been born again? Have you heeded the call and been justified 
whom he justified, he also glorified. Spirit of God, help us. Is he helping you?